Hello and welcome to this Endo Life episode 108. I'm Jessica Duffin, I'm an Endo Warrior, an Endo Health Coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here to educate and shouldn't be used as a replacement for your current medical treatment. As always, I want to thank our first sponsor today, BU. These guys are the makers of the incredible period patches that I love and also a beautiful organic CBD range, menstrual cup and chafing cream. And they really are one of the pioneers of natural and really quite revolutionary period care, in my opinion. I have seen these period patches change people's experience of their periods so dramatically and their experience of endometriosis so dramatically. And they are really one of the first things that I recommend to my clients if my clients are going through a flare-up or it's taken a while for their symptoms to calm down and for us to implement changes. I still want to provide my clients with something that's going to provide relief, you know, in that current moment. And I always recommend BU period patches because I just believe in them so much and they have helped me so much and they're natural. And it's just when you are so commonly faced with all of these different drugs that can have side effects, um, they have their place, but sometimes you just want a more uh, side effect free option. So um, I absolutely love these patches. They've been helping me through a interstitial cystitis flare up that I've been going through recently. You can find out all about that on Instagram. Um, and if you want to try the BU patches for yourself, you can just head to the link in my show notes or go straight to their website, which is buonline.co.uk. So that's B E younline.co.uk. If you are in the US or in Canada, you can actually also order your BU patches from Cult Beauty and they will ship to the US or to Canada. So that's cultbeauty.co.uk. Let me know how you get on with them. So this is my last week before I'm off to do my SIBO treatment. And because I'm going to be off, there's actually going to be two episodes over the next month rather than four. I had planned for them to, there to be four, but they were interviews and um, the guests had to reschedule, but I can't couldn't reschedule whilst I was off. So there's now going to be two. And so there'll be one out today and then another one in two weeks time. And then it will be back to the normal schedule. So yeah, obviously there are lots of episodes to catch up on or revisit. So I hope that there's enough for you to, yeah, keep you going. In the meantime, my endometriosis news articles are still coming out weekly. I've got Instagram posts coming out weekly as well and a couple of endometriosis net articles too. So yeah, hopefully that's uh, that's enough endo information. And yeah, I'll be back on the normal schedule in November. So today I wanted to not necessarily finish off, but round up a bit on some of these tips that I've been providing on estrogen dominance. And my episode 107 was about foods to help alleviate estrogen dominance. Whereas today I want to talk about five tips that are not just, you know, food related, but lifestyle related as well. And also play a really pivotal role in balancing out your estrogen levels. And for those of you who perhaps are like, well, I'm doing all of this with the food, this episode might be more useful to you. So if you are 
not familiar with estrogen dominance, I recommend that you go back and listen to episode 107 because it kind of gives you a nice little overview. Listen to my episode on heavy periods and listen to my interviews with Nicole um, Chardin and they will kind of give you a, I mean, we talk about estrogen dominance in so many episodes with different guests, but I would say those are like some go-to areas to learn more about it. So we've got five tips today and they're lifestyle and one nutrition focused, uh, well, maybe two. Number one is stress. So stress can include anything that stresses the body. So it's not just stress as we think of stress like emotional stress or being stuck in a traffic jam or being in the middle of COVID or a stressful election, that kind of thing. It can actually be, stress can be caused by inflammation. So if your body's inflamed from the endometriosis, it could be from lack of sleep. We know that lack of sleep significantly raises inflammation levels. Could be from an underlying infection. Could be something like SIBO. Now, SIBO is not technically an infection, but it behaves in a similar way and the body responds to it in a similar way. So that could be a root cause of both inflammation and stress to the body. Of course, there is emotional um, stress, but then there's also stress from physical experiences like chronic pain. Lack of exercise can actually increase inflammation and then as a result, it increases stress. So there's all these different factors that can affect our stress levels. And this is why a lifestyle focusing on overall well-being is so important and also getting to root causes like, you know, SIBO or other infections, say H. pylori, um, something to do with the gut. You don't have to do all of this at once. You don't have to address all of these issues at once because chances are, if you're, you know, a human being, you're going to have a couple of these going on. So you don't have to do them all at once, but improving your lifestyle, diet, sleep, and getting to root cause over time can make a really big difference to your stress levels long-term. I think we believe we're only under stress when we're like feeling emotionally stressed and we're like, oh my God, I'm so stressed out. But our body can be under stress from these conditions and these issues without us even knowing because we're not having a emotional response to it. Our body is stressed that we are experiencing inflammation. And by the way, inflammation also comes from blood sugar. So if your blood sugar is dysregulated, then you're going to experience stress. If you have nutrient deficiencies, your body is going to be stressed from that. So we won't necessarily know that our body is in a stress response, um, but it is on a physical level. So stress causes a release in cortisol. Now that's fine. And, and adrenaline. And it occurs in acute moments of stress. So that's that's great. That's what's supposed to happen. We're supposed to have a stress response. It's controlled by the HPA axis. That's a connection between our brain and our adrenal glands. And what happens, that's in very simple terms. So what happens is the brain sends a signal to the pituitary gland that then sends a signal to the adrenal glands. And that lets the adrenal glands know that there's a stressor, there's a threat, there's a danger, and the body needs to release cortisol and adrenaline. Now, the body, this was a survival mechanism, and it still is, but it was in caveman days. It is the reason why we've managed to evolve and survive when so many other species have died out, because we have been 
primed for danger and we've been able to survive in stressful situations and adapt really well. But essentially what's happening when we experience stress or a threat or danger is that our body releases cortisol and adrenaline in order to help us run or fight. Um, Obviously, we now know that there's this flight in the fight and flight responses now this freeze response so we have the flight fight and freeze now what's happened is over time we don't have the obvious dangers of a saber-toothed tiger chasing us or another tribe threatening our tribe but what we do have is constant low level stresses or you know high level stresses especially this year and so we are now faced with continuous chronic stresses from things like inflammation from inflammatory foods, sugar, you know, blood sugar imbalance, caffeine puts us in the flight or fight response, stress at work, emails, blue light exposure, late nights. There's so much, the news, there's so much that is telling our body that we're unsafe. And so we're under this kind of chronic stress where originally the stress response was designed for acute moments of stress. And we'd either, you know, run and survive or fight and survive, um, or we basically die. So one way or another, there was a solution. Whereas now, there isn't really a solution. We're just living with this long-term chronic stress. And it might be low-lying, it might be low-level, it might be high-level. Um, but over time, this chronic stress reduces progesterone production because cortisol and progesterone compete for the same cell receptors. And cortisol will always win out because cortisol is our survival hormone. And on top of that, when we're in stressful situations, the body doesn't want us to get pregnant at that time because it's not a good time to bring a child into the world. And so it will do what it can to stop you from reproducing. And so this will eventually result in low progesterone. And then of course, we know that low progesterone will lead to estrogen dominance because then we have an uneven ratio between progesterone and estrogen. So the key here is for us to manage our cortisol levels. We might not necessarily be able to manage the stresses that we're exposed to, especially in this day and age, but what can we do to continuously bring the cortisol levels down? Because that's a problem. It's not that, I mean, of course, if you're under loads of stress and your stress response is peaking all the time, that is a problem, but the the stress response is supposed to be there. We're supposed to have, we're supposed to be able to deal with acute moments, short fleeting moments of stress, and then come out on the other side and have our cortisol levels lowered again. So what we need to do is learn how to keep our cortisol levels returning back to normal. We need to get them to lower again. And we can do this and get into the habit of doing this on a daily basis. It's less effective, although still helpful, to just do this in moments of chronic stress. I would be doing this on a daily basis if you can, because our stress, our cortisol levels will peak, you know, Um, throughout the day when we're faced with things like infection, chronic pain, blood sugar imbalance, feeling unwell. So ideally, I think learning how to lower your cortisol levels on a a continual daily basis, is probably going to be the most effective here. So there are actually strategies that have been shown to reduce cortisol levels. And those include mindfulness or meditation, Aerobic exercise at 10 minutes of 
exercise that gets your heart rate up, even if that's 10 minutes of dancing. Now, if you go over 30 minutes, and that's going to elevate your cortisol levels, but 10 minutes or under 30 minutes will help lower your cortisol levels. Yoga has been shown to reduce cortisol levels and walking in nature as well. So if you can try, you know, five minutes of one of these on a daily basis, or even one minute, oh, I've missed breath work on there. Breath work should be on there too. So, you know, even if you just do one minute of breath work a day or five minutes of mindfulness a day or five minutes walking outside a day, that is going to be better than nothing. And then build up over time. Meet yourself where you are. If you're really busy, then we have to be realistic. But even just a small change can make a difference. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. BU make natural, organic products to help us to manage our periods, sleep well, and achieve a greater sense of well-being. Their product line is expanding all the time with just amazing products that I, I love. I'm so happy that this company exists because they're natural for a start and they really focus on menstrual well-being and that's just so important to me. They have a CBD balm, CBD drops, CBD sprays um, that can all help you to manage your um, menstrual pain. They have patches which you can use during the beginning of your period and the lead up to your period to soothe pain and the endometriosis community love them. There's also the sleep pillow mist. So if you're really trying to improve your sleep or you're trying to reduce levels of anxiety when you're sleeping, the sleep pillow mist is just full of soothing essential oils to help with that. They have a menstrual cup now and a menstrual cup foaming cleanser. Um, so if you can wear menstrual cups, then I totally recommend BU. Their cup is made with um, 100% soft medical grade silicone. There's no PBA, no latex, no dye. As I said, all of their products are natural. The company are really committed to women's rights, menstrual health, and good quality products. And I mean, obviously I know them personally because they're my sponsors and they're just a lovely company to support. So if you're interested in having a look at their range, the link is in my show notes. Um, I would love to hear what you think and how you get on with them. Be you. Start soothing period cramps a natural way. This episode is also sponsored by my free endometriosis diet grocery list. This download gives you basically a lowdown of what I eat every week on um, a monthly basis and my personal take on the endometriosis diet. It's not a protocol, set protocol that you have to or should follow, but it is here to serve you, give you inspiration and help you see what eating for endometriosis might look like in real life. It's there for you to kind of take inspiration from and help you put your own approach together. To download it, just head to my show notes and follow the link to get your free copy. Okay, number two is blood sugar. So blood sugar is absolutely key to healthy hormones. I'm sure you guys um, have gathered that by now from all of my previous podcasts. And imbalanced blood sugar can lead to estrogen dominance as well as inflammation. So it's not just important for us 
um, to keep our hormone levels in balance and keep those PMS um, symptoms down and heavy bleeding down and painful periods and long periods and clotty periods. But it's also important for keeping our pain levels down because inflammation directly influences pain. So what happens with blood sugar is when our blood sugar levels spike, aromatase, which is an enzyme that converts testosterone to estrogen, also rises. And so the testosterone in our blood is being converted into estrogen, which leads to higher levels of estrogen. On top of that, ovulation can become sporadic with continual blood sugar dysregulation and even not occur. Now, you can still have a period with sporadic or delayed or non-existent ovulation. You can still have a period. So don't think that just because you're having a period your cycle's totally healthy and ovulation is fine. If you are having irregular periods, late periods, early periods, that could indicate something's up with your ovulation. And of course, if you're having PMS symptoms or heavy bleeding or painful periods or clotty periods or lots of anxiety in the second half of your cycle, that indicates that there's a hormonal issue going on and that could be related to your ovulation. So when ovulation doesn't occur, that actually lowers progesterone because that sac that surrounds your egg when it's released, it's called the corpus luteum, that actually produces progesterone in the second half of your cycle. So if you don't ovulate and you're not releasing that sac, then you're not going to have sufficient progesterone. And that will then, of course, lead to estrogen dominance because you've also then got low progesterone levels as well. So just to recap that, there are lots of ways lots of ways blood sugar dysregulates your hormones but or blood sugar dysregulation imbalances your hormones but for the purposes of this episode we're looking at it raises aromatase which converts testosterone into estrogen so any testosterone in your blood is getting converted into estrogen maybe not all of it but you know a good chunk um and then ovulation can come become sporadic and that can affect your progesterone levels which can further lead to estrogen dominance. So the two key ways you can balance your blood sugar and there are other strategies but these are there's really no point in doing the other strategies if you're not doing these is to have protein, fat, fiber and some complex carbohydrates of every meal. So we're looking for 50 to 75% of your plate being veggies, 25% of your plate being protein, and the final 25% being split between fat and complex carbohydrates. So the complex carbohydrates might look like um, some grains, some root veggies, that kind of thing. Now, you might already get complex carbs from your protein source because perhaps you have beans. Um, And in terms of fat, you're looking for about two tablespoons of fat as a minimum. And then... The second key way to manage your blood sugar is to eat regularly. So don't let yourself get hungry to the point where, you know, you're starving when you're cooking, you're feeling shaky, you're feeling hangry. You should be a bit hungry when you're eating, but you really shouldn't be starving. Um, Actually, I'm going to add a third on. So the third would be avoiding as often as you can or, or really just keeping them to special occasions, refined carbohydrates like refined flours, things like pastry and pizzas, um, and of course, you know, sugar. So 
white sugar, coconut sugar, maple syrup, we're keeping more of those to special occasions as these are sim- they, these are still simple sugars and they will still spike your blood sugar. So I tend to focus on stevia, inulin syrup and monk fruit um, as those are natural sugar-free alternatives. And then, you know, the maple syrup, the coconut sugar could be kept for like a birthday cake or, you know, those kind of things. Now, of course, for anyone who finds this triggering, you don't have to do all of these, um, but these are the basic recommendations for blood sugar balance. You could start with the protein, fat and fiber uh, and complex carbs, or maybe you start with eating regularly. If you find this triggering because you have a history of eating if, of an eating disorder, I would work with a nutritionist, dietitian, and then some kind of mental health support. Um, before embarking on this path on your own. Number three is regular bowel movements. So we want to be having at least one bowel movement daily because estrogen is removed from our body daily in our stool. So once it's used up, once it's done its job for the day, it's then removed in our stools. And constipation can really lead to estrogen being reabsorbed into the bloodstream because it's just sitting there. And I see this really often. I see my clients who deal with constipation because they have SIBO um, or perhaps adhesions that are affecting their bowel movements uh, or a tight pelvic floor or something like that. They tend to have really bad estrogen dominance symptoms and they definitely notice a difference when they've gone through a period of constipation. And I see it as well with them. Now, of course, if you've got SIBO, then we would need to address that in terms of your constipation. But in the meantime, drinking enough water. So um, the kind of standard calculation for that would be half your body weight in ounces. So you would take your body weight in pounds. So say you were 120 pounds, you would half that. So you had 60 pounds. And then instead of drinking 60 pounds of water, you would drink 60 ounces of water. So that's how you work out your basic intake for water. And you would need to up that if you were exercising a lot, if you're pregnant, if it was pretty hot at the time. So um, just to have that in mind, don't just not drink because, you know, don't drink because you have reached your limit for the day, but you're thirsty. Drink if you're thirsty. Enough fiber from fruits and vegetables is really important here. So we're aiming for eight to 10 portions of fruit and veggies a day. If you're new to the podcast and you're in the UK and you're like, I swear it's five portions a day, the NHS um, recommended five a day because they didn't believe that people would eat the 10 a day that's been shown in research to be the most beneficial for health. So in functional kind of nutrition and medicine, which is where my training's, what my training is based in, we aim for eight to 10 servings a day. And if you want to know more about that, I have an episode on antioxidants for endometriosis. I've also got an episode on hydration for endometriosis. So I'll link to both of those. I think they would be really useful in relation to this. Now you could try stool softeners like chia seeds, magnesium oxide, magnesium citrate, but if you have something like chia, be aware if it makes your constipation worse, that could be an indication that you have SIBO because sometimes those really fibrous 
um, stool softeners like flax or chia can actually make your constipation worse with SIBO because it feeds the SIBO. So just have an awareness of that, but try out the chia. So if your bowel movements are fine, so you're not having constipation, at least, let's say they're fine in that sense, gut health still might be an issue. If your gut health, if your gut microbiome, the bacteria that live in your gut, um, if they're imbalanced, you may not have enough of the good bacteria known as estrobolome to remove estrogen. So estrobolome is bacteria as a group of bacteria in your gut that's responsible for eliminating bacteria packaging it up ready to be put in stools for removal now you may not have a sufficient amount of that because of a gut dysbiosis so gut bacterial imbalance or you may have too much of an enzyme called b-glucuronidase which actually turns estrogen back on. So when estrogen is being removed from your body, what happens is it goes to your liver first and your liver essentially turns it off. It kind of makes it redundant. It's it's now no longer usable by the body. So then it enters the gut to be packaged up by estrobolome. But what can happen is if there's high levels of B-glucuronidase in the gut, that can actually turn back on this estrogen. And then the body does not recognize this as something to be eliminated, but actually to be reabsorbed. So that estrogen gets reabsorbed back into the bloodstream. And I've got a couple of clients who have high levels of glucuronidase and they all have really um, significant estrogen dominant symptoms. Now, you can get tested for glucuronidase with something called a GI map. You can also test your gut microbiome with the GI map as well, and it will kind of let you know whether you have imbalances. You would have to look up the specific strains or bacteria that are responsible for clearing out estrogen. I don't know the individual names and see whether they would be traceable on the GI map, work with a nutritionist or dietitian. And then you could address those accordingly. Now, if you do notice that you have gut health issues, if you just feel like your digestion's off, you have acid reflux, you have burping, you have gas, you have bloating, you have diarrhea, constipation, etc. any of those. And when I say constipation or diarrhea, it's a spectrum. It doesn't have to be like you're not going for a week. Literally, you could go every day, but if your stool is painful to pass and hard, if it's cracked on the surface if it is difficult, um, if it's coming out like pellets, or if your stools are like watery or like pudding-like, really soft, not fully formed, you're kind of leaning one way. The harder stools are towards constipation, the softer stools are towards diarrhea. You're looking for a snake-like stool that is in like banana-like consistency. Um, So... I meet a lot of people who are like, oh, my bowel movements are fine. And then they tell me more about them. I'm like, no, no, they're not. So if you notice any of these issues, what I recommend is going back to my episode on the endo belly, which take you through the first and second line therapies, which are basically when we say first or second line and second line therapies, they're standard low risk gut healing protocols and gut supportive strategies that will help to repair your digestion and really see whether what's behind your digestion problems is something really simple, like a little bit of like 
gut dysbiosis rather than something, you know, more intense like SIBO. So I would recommend going through those strategies first, but also if you strongly suspect SIBO, testing for SIBO as well. So this is a bit more of a deep dive tip, but addressing your gut health issues will be really important to addressing your your estrogen dominant symptoms. So you could test, you could do a GI map, see what's going on with your microbiome, your B glucuronidase. You could try first and second line therapists. And really some of them are so simple, like chewing properly, trying out some different probiotics and seeing if they help you. If they don't help you, that might indicate that SIBO is present. So, or if they worsen your symptoms, that might indicate SIBO is present. So some of these first and second line strategies are really, really simple. You don't have to do them all. Um, so maybe go through them and pick out a couple that you would like to try. Number four is removing xenoestrogens. So xenoestrogens are chemicals in our environment um, and found in lots of our manufactured products that mimic estrogen and are much stronger than estrogen and have been known and reported and researched and shown to cause um, reproductive issues, hormonal um, issues, birth defects, fertility problems. The most kind of common one that we know of is um, estrogen, uh, BPA. Um, so BPA has been shown to affect fertility. It's been linked numerous times to endometriosis, lots of hormonal issues. It mimics estrogen so much so that it was actually once considered to be used as a replacement for estrogen in hormonal therapies, which is just bloody terrifying to be honest. Also phthalates, um, which are found in like perfumes, and I don't just mean like perfume bottles, but like perfumed soaps, perfect fabric, perfumed fabric softeners, etc. And there are numerous other chemicals that are xenoestrogens as well. And so when you're looking for cleaner products, so for example, like Tupperware, don't go for BPA Tupperware. BPA-free Tupperware because actually what's going on there is they've just replaced it with other chemicals that also have xenoestrogens. So what you're really looking to do here is find, like replace your beauty products, your cleaning products, your non-stick cookware, your body products, your sanitary, I hate that word, your period products for organic toxin-free versions. Now, that can, you can go down a rabbit hole and I used to check every ingredient and just freak out about it all. What I would recommend is saying, staying away from the big name products that suddenly just whack like, oh, what's that really common one? Sulfate free or paraben free, because then it's just paraben free. It's just sulfate free. It's not that it's like 95% organic or 95% like natural. So you're looking for the greener, cleaner products that really, you know, state that it's like naturally made or it's 98% like natural ingredients and non-toxic ingredients. Like it's very specifically saying that. And to make it easier, I'm just going to paste into my show notes. I have a handout that I give to my clients. I'm just going to paste in some of my favorite brands into the show notes. And if you also, that's a lot for like UK products, but in America, there are a couple of American ones on there too. But in America, I recommend getting hold of, um, 
The Happy Hormone Guide by Shannon Lepaski because she actually has a whole like page dedicated to her favorite toxin-free brands. Um, and she also has a list of ingredients to look out for in your beauty products and your cleaning products. If you, you know, if you do want to check products over, you can also go to the Environmental Working Group because they have a list of safe products and you can actually type in your product and see if it comes up on there. Um, the other thing is to swap to organic as much as possible because, you know, non-organic fruits and veggies are sprayed with pesticides. And many of these pesticides have been linked to endometriosis and hormone disruption. So the more organic that you can go, the better. And if you can't afford to go fully organic, then I would recommend going for going for the dirty dozen and the clean 15. So the clean 15 are fruits and veggies that have the least pesticide traces on them. So they're safer to eat. And the dirty dozen are the ones that have been found to have the highest levels of pesticides in. So they're better to have organic. So you can find out in your local, you know, in your country, your local country in your country what your dirty dozen and clean 15 are um you should just be able to search that but i will link to the american and the uk ones because that's kind of where those are the ones that i know but you can google that as well in your country so we can also further support this by removing foods drinks and other substances that are going to overburden the liver because the liver is responsible for removing these toxins from our body. And what happens is it's also responsible for estrogen, but it doesn't see estrogen as a poison, but it does see these toxins as a poison. So it's going to prioritize those toxins over your estrogen levels. So if you've got some estrogen that needs to be cleared out, but you, you're exposed to loads of toxins, your body is going to prioritize the toxins first and estrogen will get put on the back burner resulting in excess estrogen so you can support your body further by being mindful of your exposure to drugs alcohol sugar and caffeine because these can all burden the liver because the liver needs to filter those out because obviously it's not if you had a build-up of alcohol or drugs or sugar or caffeine in your body it wouldn't be a good idea so your body your um your liver has to work to get rid of those um, and of course eating a nutritious diet because your liver actually needs a lot of nutrients to be able to do this work including b vitamins especially Number five is nutrition. So this is really going back to what I touched upon in episode 107, cruciferous veggies to help clear out estrogen, dominant, um, estrogen, lots of fruit and vegetables for all of those nutrients, antioxidants, B vitamins, um, to really just help the body to operate optimally and make healthy hormone levels. Obviously, adequate healthy fats, protein, and nutrients such as iron, magnesium, zinc because we need all of those for healthy hormone levels for good levels of progesterone if we've got low levels of progesterone we have estrogen dominance to have healthy estrogen clearance from nutrients like zinc and b6 and like i said we need these nutrients to support the liver so we need adequate levels of b vitamins from beans and pulses and eggs to you know to actually support our liver to do its job so if you want to learn more about the nutrition piece, then I recommend going to episode 107. So to recap, 
Some of the main strategies to support estrogen dominance is to reduce stress, to balance your blood sugar, to have daily bowel movements, to heal any gut health issues, to remove xenoestrogens and support the liver, and to have good nutrition. Now, I appreciate that all sounds like a lot. I always want to give you guys the information so that you can choose what to do with it. So you don't have to deal with all of this right now. You could literally be working on this over a year if you wanted to, slowly, bit by bit, swapping out your beauty products for non-toxic, slowly, bit by bit, getting used to eating blood sugar balancing meals. This doesn't have to be something that you do in the space of a month or a week. It really can be a long-term process that you're working towards. It's just important that you are, you know, taking steps, even if they're baby steps, to improve how you're feeling. Because the better you feel, the more motivation that you'll have to make further changes. Um, It's really when we're stuck feeling unwell that it's hardest to make changes. So start with baby steps. And... If you're looking for the most bang for your buck, I would go with blood sugar because that's really where we can make some real traction with our hormones. Okay, so I hope this episode was helpful. I know a lot of you experience overwhelm. So if you do, just take this at your pace. Um, Take it step by step. Maybe write out what sounds appealing for you to start with and just break it down into really small steps over a couple of months. Just to remind you guys that I am currently off doing my SIBO treatments. This is pre-recorded. So even though you'll be seeing um, posts going up on Instagram and this being released, I'm not actually active on Instagram or my emails at the moment. So if you get in touch with me, I'm just not going to be able to reply until I return on November the 9th because I'm, I'm literally coming off everything. So just wanted to let you guys you know, know that in case you do reach out to me in regards to this episode. So I hope it was really helpful. um, And I hope you are all well, and I will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, You can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe really truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis this episode was produced by the pod farm whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world 